Welcome to the latest edition of the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean Kernan. Bob Zarrell is off this week to replace him. We had to have two people. We've got uh, Josh Adams and we've got Zach Comaker. Guys, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. And Zach? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Now that Bob's not here, that means we can talk about Kenny Omega and Star Wars Visions. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Yeah! <laughs> well, we are going to dig into, for, on, for, for Josh, uh, just special for Josh, we're going to talk about the Marvel TV shows a little bit later. Oh, I hate those, so <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> I'll be quick. Swift. Sorry. Just I love them. <laughs> Just a reminder, of course, you can find us on all of your podcasting platforms. And, of course, if you leave us a five-star review, I'm going to give you a Blu-ray of some sort uh, that you've never heard of, which uh, be at least a, a unique addition to your collection. So let us know that you did that on our Facebook page, facebook.com, and search Everybody's a Critic. And uh, let's, let's get into the show here, guys. Uh, so there's only one new movie this week. It's called Dear Evan Hansen, and this stars Ben Platt. As uh, the title character, Evan Hansen, who is a, a kid who's very awkward, he's very shy, he has no friends, he's a 28-year-old senior in high school, or 18, I'm sorry, he's 18. <laughs> he, looks, he looks 35, but uh, he's, uh, got the, he's just got no friends. One day he's doing this thing for his psychiatrist where he's writing out a letter. I know, Josh, you didn't see this, right? I didn't, but I did just watch the reasonably long trailer um, about 10 minutes before the show started here, and I'll be able to contribute some thoughts, just not on the movie itself. I'm interested to catch your, what you think of the, the plot description, because I'm going to give you the description of what happens here. So he fills out this letter to himself in the school library. He's confronted by this kid, Connor, who kind of distracts him as he accidentally prints it in the school library, even though he doesn't want anybody else to read it. Why he needs to print it makes no sense other than it's the convenience of the plot because Connor finds the letter, takes it, steals it, and uh, when Connor ends up killing himself, he, it's, he has the letter on him. And Connor's parents, played by Amy Adams and Danny Pino, uh, they think that this is Connor's suicide note because it starts, Dear Evan Hansen. So they think he wrote that to, Dear, to Evan Hansen. Evan tries to tell them at some point that it's not him, that the, he actually wrote the letter, but instead of doing that, he goes along with it to try and be kind to the parents and not you know, kind of tell them, yeah, your son did have a friend and it was me, which is weird and creepy, but it gets weirder and creepier from there because <laughs> this little twerp then uses this uh, situation to kind of create this fake friendship between himself and Connor. He creates fake emails between the two of them, like they were friends who talk, and he uses this to then get with Connor's sister, Zoe, played by, uh, played by the wonderful Caitlin Deaver, who's completely, just completely lost in this movie. But it's so creepy. <laughs> this kid essentially insinuates himself into this family under the lie that he was a friend of their son and then spends hours and hours coming up with these lies about things that he says that Connor said about his family. Which is supposed to be, I guess, comforting to them, but at the same time, the lies are so bad, <laughs> they're so unbelievable, nobody talks like this, certainly no teenage boys talk like this to each other. The emails that he reads to his, or that he gives to the parents to look at, read like the 19th century love letters of two gay men who are just, you know, separated by society. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, ridiculous, but uh, Zach, you saw this, did you hate this as much as I did? Yeah, I, I I don't know if I hated the movie, you or me, the mower. Like, I, I literally, I didn't know what this movie was. I had no idea. I didn't know it was a musical. I didn't know it was going to be a depressing, like, suicide letter musical. And it wasn't really depressing either. Like, it was like, it was like, it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a comedy, if it wanted to, like, be, be, be joking about it. And then, like, next scene, it'd be, like, fucking depressing. It just was, it was all over the place. It was real real creepy like the song that he sang the song that he sang to the sister basically like confirming yeah, the fact that he stalks her let, but, no, the, like, let, let me let me lay out the context the of this her dead brother's <laughs> love for her let me lay out the context of this for Josh so Josh he's singing a song Evan is to the sister Caitlin Deaver and telling her what her brother was how her brother felt about her that he you know the brother never told her how he felt and <laughs> 
So he sings it, though. The song that he's singing, the words that he's telling her in the context of this are coming from her brother. But it sounds like romantic stalker notes from, like, somebody who thinks that every breath you take is a love song. Like, <laughs> Are we sure that this is not a Skywalker situation? <laughs> It's like he literally is just like singing about how her brother talked about how she smiled when she played guitar with her eyes closed and how she walked. And it's just like, (laughs) uh, uh. it was so very queasy. It's very queasy. And I have a sister and I've never once complimented her smile. I'm sure Amy has a lovely smile. It's just weird to say that to your sibling. Nah, man, you just throw stuff at them. You don't. You don't talk about their smiles. Like, you too. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna comment that crap. That's just. I don't know, man. It's just the whole thing was creepy. Like, like I, I, I messaged you yesterday while I was watching it. Like, it was better when Robin Williams did this with World's Greatest Dad, and even then, it was like. It was still fucked up, but at least it was like under the guise of like Bobcat Goldthrott's like fucked up sense of humor. Like, it was at least kind of fun. Like this was. I don't know. I was also I felt uncomfortable too because I watched it like in a, a theater mostly filled with like teenage girls and yeah. like I kept hearing crying or like like when there were the, the, the couple like twists that the story takes, like a couple of them like gasped, like, oh <laughs> I didn't guess that in the first oh five minutes. Like it's just uh, I I cringed throughout this entire movie, Josh. The entire time, I was feeling physical revulsion at the various ways that they try to make you see, make it seem like this character, Ben Platt's Evan Hansen, is some kind of not the hero because you're because the 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 crux of the drama is supposed to be you know this awful thing that he's doing versus his you know desire to have a, a regular kind of family and this love interest. That's supposed to be like the the moral conflict at the center, but the movie has no proper tone to it to to establish him as anything that is remotely likable or or something that you would root for. He's just pathetic. Yeah. Yeah, they literally go so far to create a charity for the 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 and the, the kid's name for an orchard that he never once talked about that he once went to 10 years earlier. Like they literally go so far to like set up like a charity and like don't forget. Don't forget. He and Evan used to take uh, romantic walks there together. Apparently. Uh, not talking about girls. (laughs) Again, just the way it's framed. I'm not, if, if these two characters were, were gay, it would make sense. It would make a lot of sense. Like it would make actually the conversation that they have in their email. If they were two young gay men, it would make sense. It would seem even more romantic and it would actually make more sense in the context of the story about how awkward and uncomfortable they both are because that is this being a, a gay teenager c- can be awkward and uncomfortable, especially when you're trying to discover your sexuality with another with another boy. That can be a very difficult thing. But this movie is like it's like no homo. <laughs> it's going yeah. through go, go, hard that way, and yet at the same time, cringily putting together this seeming romance. Well, they literally, <laughs> make jokes. Oh. like they straight up like <laughs> they do that. <laughs> Josh, I was going to note, um, after watching the trailer, I figured when I was finished that it could have gone one of two ways in that it's a bit groundbreaking and that um, there's a musical aspect to it. There's a lot of emotion involved. I saw that Stephen Kaboski directed this and um, his previous work of The Perks of Being a Wallflower was surprisingly effective to the mm-hmm. point where I didn't think that I could see that movie again after watching it the first time because of its impact, especially towards the end. And so it seems like he was hired or came up with this idea to adapt it um, based on the fact that he had a similarly styled film before about social anxiety and the youth. But it is, it's seemingly difficult to buy a story like this, uh, where the lead actor is supposed to be in high school, but he's 28 years old, which is already something that is done often, but in this case seems to be pretty egregious. Um, But also, 
if you get this wrong, then it's going to look pretty awkward. Um, and honestly, the emotion in the trailer, I, I thought that that was very interesting and, and exciting. Mm -hmm. But the way that you're explaining it is that second part where I thought, oh, it could also go this way. <laughs> so uh, it seems like they, they missed the mark pretty strongly on this one. Yeah. And uh, for all of the good that somebody could do by upholding um, this particular story, the truth is always better. So I know that at some point I would have been turned off by it because he probably waited until the very last minute to reveal the truth. Uh, no spoilers needed, of course. I, I imagine that that's what happens just from the trailer. But um, it, it happens, I went from, yeah. Go ahead. It happens in the most cringy and like unbelievable way as well. <laughs> but regardless, <laughs> is there yeah. something you wanted to add, Josh? I just wanted to mention that I went from um, saying I'm on the fence about this because of the director's previous work and because uh, I now have a high schooler and uh, being able to connect with the youth in this particular way might have been an interesting thing to do. Uh, this was an award winning um, play, as I understand it. And, you know, sometimes plays don't translate well to the screen. And it seems like this is one of those cases Absolutely. And the, the thing about it, like the, when you're on stage, you could do a lot of earnest, big emotional stuff because of the intimacy of being in person right in front of them. You're, it becomes a lot easier to be sympathetic. Plus, you, like you said, you're just belting to the back of the room. It's a lot of big emotion. So there's earnestness is, is invited there. When it comes to this type of thing, where it, the movies are a far different medium for this type of story. And when you're this level of earnest and and uh, just uh, way too honest or talking in the way that people don't talk and you're having to communicate in a way that doesn't involve music sometimes, I think that's the, a big problem for this movie because you can get, get away with a lot more in a song than you can uh, in, in, a, in a movie, in a just straight dialogue movie. On top of that, all the songs sounded the same to me. They all seemed to have the same message about uh, missed emotional connections and uh, the desire for family or the or the desire for acceptance. And it just all of it just ran together as the same song by the end. Yeah, yeah, it was um, like a couple of them were even like the same exact like melody. It was basically it was just. They, they did repeat themselves a few times. Like I, it took me out of it, man. Like every time they started singing, it really wasn't, it didn't hit the mark. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't into it. Like, I'm not really like super against musicals, but I'm not chomping at the bit for most musicals. And this one was just kind of like a, uh, <laughs> the tough was also, they can't decide whether or not the songs are in the, in like, something that everybody can hear or just he hears. So at different times, only Evan can hear the song and he's singing it out loud, but only he can hear it. And in other scenes, like the, the scene with the, with the girlfriend, with the, the, the sister, uh, she can hear him as he's singing, but he's not, she hears it as talking, I guess. That, 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 that's a weird thing. Again, you need to figure out how to make your song seem natural. Like, I would say that the music in La La Land feels natural to that story, whereas this, it doesn't feel that Like Les Mis, for instance, I know that's not a movie that a lot of people like. I love that movie, but they sang the entire movie because they knew that if they tried to slow that down for dialogue, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hamper the way they're telling that story. Plus, you can't ask the questions about what's real and what isn't if everything is sung. And so they kind of avoided that problem this way. This way, with the dialogue that they have to shoehorn in here to try and explain this plot, which when you explain it too much, it becomes, like I said, like something out of uh, that police song. Every breath you take, it's like a stalker who's figuring out a, a secret way <laughs> to, to get inside of a family. I'm reminded of uh, the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the prince is just randomly singing on cue and some uh, group is in the background playing the music for him and then the king tells them all to stop. Not only does Ben Platt kind of uh, give me hints of that particular actor, but the randomness of which you're speaking of with the songs, sometimes people can hear it, sometimes people can't. The first thing that flashed in my mind was Monty Python. That's probably not what you want out of this. No. <laughs> no. Not when you're going for this level of earnest emotion. <laughs> All right. So I think we've said what yeah, we they, like, to say here. Go ahead, Josh. Zach? 
Oh, it's okay. We can just keep going. It's not important. <laughs> All right. It's important. It's not important. <laughs> it's just more shit on that movie. I don't really need to. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a bad movie. I don't recommend it. To, maybe if you really, really, really love the source material or if you, or if you love Broadway adaptations, maybe. Uh, I don't really even think you can watch this to laugh about it either. It's like it's not... It's not one of those movies that you can enjoy hating because, like, you've got Amy Adams and Julianne Moore in the same movie. Like you, and, and Caitlin Deaver and Amanda Stenberg, too, is also a really great actress. You've got this amazing cast uh, working towards this. So it's a very professional production, and Chbosky's a good director. So it's, it, it, what it comes down to is this, just this a complete miss on a level of premise and execution that, uh, that is still kind of professional and, and even good. Like, Julianne Moore has one good song in this movie. Uh, people have been kind of making fun of the way she says the word truck. <laughs> That's become a <laughs> meme for some reason, but I never, I didn't mind that. I, I liked that song. It's the only time in the movie where I, where I enjoyed something in this movie was that moment. So, like I said, there are things about this that work. There's a lot about it that doesn't work, and I don't recommend Dear Evan Hansen. All right, so it's been a while since we've had uh, Josh and Zach on the show, but Josh, uh, let's talk about some of the things that you've been up to since the last time uh, you were here. Of course, we've had a couple of Marvel TV series and a Marvel movie come out since then. That's right, and I did, of course, go to see Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings um, you know, the day after because that it came out, because, of course, I did. We're, I'm always there. Um, and to be honest, although I really enjoyed the way that it looked, I enjoyed performances, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Timu Liu, I'm not entirely sure how to say that name, but I hope I got it close. I think he's very charismatic. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. But honestly, there was just some, there's a bit of awkwardness to that movie between all of the really fantastic action scenes and martial arts. Um, there's just a bit too much roteness there for me to have really engaged this the way that I have other Marvel movies. It doesn't mean that I was uh, turned off by it or that it was bad or that I would place it at the bottom of the MCU along with um, Thor The Dark World or uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, which I really didn't like. It's not like that. It's just middling for me, and I'm not excited about it. Uh, but that's that. I don't know how you guys uh, rated that one, but I'd Zach? be interested in hearing some feedback considering that's the most major release I've seen. Zach, what did you think of Shang-Chi? Oh, I I absolutely, I loved it. Um, I, had a, I had a really good time. I, I didn't get to see it right away. Uh, I saw it like a week later, but uh, even though I was like playing peekaboo with all those spoilers, I still enjoyed it. Uh, I liked like the cameos. I kind of like how they... They redeemed a part of, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but they re- redeemed a character from earlier in the MCU that uh, I absolutely hated the first time, and I kind of was into it the second time. So I kind of, I don't know, the movie kind of, it was kind of what I needed right, right about now. Like I needed some like crazy martial arts Marvel movie to just like flash bright colors in my face <laughs> in a movie theater. It was a, it was a great, great goddamn time, and I can't wait to watch it on Disney Plus. I think. Uh, November eleventh or something like that. I liked it somewhere in there. But I, I can't wait. I, I thought it. I thought it was pretty good. I found it. I put it in like in that second tier of Marvel movies. Like, uh, uh, I think like for me, like Iron Man, the original Iron Man, and is up there like at the top. And and uh, this was kind of not like a level below that. And uh, Ragnarok is is above that one. I would say it's top tier for me. But I thought this was really great. I loved the action scenes. I loved the bus scene. I thought it was terrific. I thought that was incredibly mm-hmm. well staged. And I love, I love Dustin, uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton, who's the director on that one. He's just, uh, he's one of the best. I, he is not missed yet for me when it comes to uh, his direction. And I thought uh, for, for a guy taking on his first Marvel movie, especially, I mean, his, his other movies are, <laughs> are really you know, kind of serious family drama for the most part. Uh, th- he, he really steps up very well here. And I thought he brought even a little bit of himself in the relationship between the uh, between uh, Shang Chi and his dad, I thought he brought a little bit of himself into that, and I thought I really liked that and in terms of his past style with uh, Short Term Twelve and Glass Castle. So I really did like it a lot. Short Term Twelve is definitely one of my uh, I would call it a top twenty of the past ten years or so. So knowing that he was behind this gave me probably expectations that were a little higher for myself than than a Marvel movie should have, I suppose. But, Zach, I'm going to agree with you on that uh, particular spoiler. I thought that part was my favorite of the movie. You get to see 
somebody again. It, yeah. At this point, we're two, three weeks out from it, so I, I don't necessarily feel bad about spoilers, but I would just say anybody listening that hasn't seen it, trust us. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good time. Uh, considering I have no idea what you're talking about, I'm, I'm sure it's great for people who, who like comic books or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just think Shane Black and his twist. All right. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that one. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was another one uh, that, that, that people were talking about that I was kind of confused by, uh, but uh, we can leave that for another time. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about the Marvel TV shows. There's been a few since we last talked to you, Josh. Uh, and which, First of all, which one has been the one you've been really loving the most? Of all things, strangely enough, I like the What If series more than any of them uh, so far. And that doesn't mean that the others don't have their merits. Uh, Of course they do. I mean, I'm very into all of these characters, but what if is become surprisingly engaging. Um, Even uh, the episode in which there's what if zombies. Uh, (laughs) Normally, if anybody turns anything into a zombie thing that it normally isn't, I get completely bored and tune out immediately. It's not that I don't like zombie films. It's just... I don't understand why that needs to be a part of a story. But the Zombie X episode was actually kind of darn good. Um, It's not the animation style in the original trailer bugged me because I like crisper animation than that. However, once you get to watch it on a 4K display, uh, it really pops. The colors are very reminiscent of the cinematic palette that we're used to. Uh, I would add that one of the better Marvel things that I have seen thus far is in the episode um, previous to the last one involving Killmonger. And Killmonger remains my favorite villain of the MCU, so grounded and seemingly the most justified in terms of how the character portrayed his purpose. Um, That being the case in this uh, episode, it's presumed that Eric Killmonger saved Tony Stark in the original Iron Man instead of the Iron Man suit doing the work, per se. And Killmonger kind of had something in his pocket the whole time. It's very well crafted. I can't believe that um, Marvel went ahead and allowed uh, this particular story to come back because it's almost better than anything they've released in a while. Um, but also being able to see some poignant moments in that episode involving Chadwick Boseman oh. in his actual voice and Michael B. Jordan's actual voice. Uh, that show is blowing me away. And that's not an exaggeration on my end, even though I'm regularly hyperbolic. Zach, have you seen uh, what if? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, we're, I love it. I'm a big old, big old Marvel dork. And like the what if comics have always been like, like a personal favorite of mine. Cause like, they're always, they're always so batshit insane. And like, they usually end badly. Like they usually end grisly. And I was kind of curious to see if Marvel would start doing some crazier shit with, with this one. Yeah. Oh man, this is hit. This has hit all the right spots, man. Like they, like the, the latest episode, is just a straight up like frat boy comedy starring Thor. And it's fucking amazing. (laughs) Like it's literally all about Thor. Like uh, it's what if, what if Thor was uh, an only child and uh, Odin hadn't adopted Loki and Odin goes, does his Odin sleep? And uh, Freya is going to go off and hang out with her sister so Thor's been given one task, and that's not to party. <laughs> so, of course, he flies to Vegas, and everyone starts showing up, and it turns into a giant, massive party. And it's just, it's it's so much more fun than it needs to be. Like, it's it sounds just stupid, and and it just, it, it works. Like, it's just fucking whole, it's, it's great. Like, Captain Marvel gets called in to fight him, and all this crap. Like, you, you, you're never going to ever see that in... Um, in the movies so like i'm in, i'm enjoying letting them go wild doing these crazy animated stories like it's been 
it's been a blast. Like I've I've enjoyed every one of them so far. I really I really like the animation style. I like the animation style uh, just from uh, reading about it. Even the, the, the inspirations that they had. Uh, the, one of the animators was talking about the Saturday morning post cartoons that he that he saw as a kid that were kind of, or a younger person. And uh, I I love that they would adopt a style like that, especially when they're telling the story of uh, Captain Carter, which I thought was the that I've seen. I've only seen the first two, but I really was impressed with what they did with Captain Carter and that that alternate universe uh, Steve Rogers story was phenomenal i mean it's just exceptionally well told and then of course what it really was surprising to me is that i wasn't sure how they were going to make these changes plausible especially when it came to the second episode with t'challa was like this is this is kind of weird how am i supposed to accept this premise and and uh i ended up really accepting the premise very much so they they, they really figured out a way to make that work and especially just hearing chadwick boseman's voice again was just it, it was wonderful All right, let's see. Uh, what else was there, Josh? Did you watch Loki? Definitely watched Loki. Um, there was one episode. Um, I can't remember specifically which one. I want to say the third, fourth, something like that, with where it's uh, Loki and Sylvie almost exclusively. And I, oh, it was it was very frustrating. But the rest of the series is just weird enough um, and and smart enough in terms of uh, exploring the Loki character in depth. Uh, I'm fascinated by this whole construct that they did of the TVA and making Owen Wilson somebody that I can stand to watch <laughs> at all. Because <laughs> uh, his, his Mobius character is actually a lot of fun, and there's a, there's some heart behind everything that's done in this show. Um, you get a completely bonkers, awesome performance by Jonathan Majors towards the end of the series. Uh it's wonderful, and I would have called it my favorite of the shows so far if it hadn't been for What If. Uh, it sets up some really fun things for the MCU. Sometimes I'm worried about uh, this universe kind of collapsing on itself, and then they surprise me yet again with another branch. Uh, and in Loki, they've really created that other branch, and I cannot wait until December until the Spider-Man movie. I'm serious. That's the most excited I've been for a movie in a long time. This whole multiverse thing is just fascinating. <laughs> yes, indeed. Zach, did you watch Loki? Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty much everything I'd say, it's already been said. The show, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I am... I, I liked it. I liked a strange sense of humor. I love seeing. I love as much Loki as we can get, and that it was perfect. Uh, the the whole multiverse aspect going forward opens up like literally anything, and I, I that has me just like fucking drooling over here, dude. Like literally <laughs> anything is possible now. Like we can get some of the craziest shit. We can finally see the X Men done properly. Like we can. We could get some really good, satisfying stories again, and I, I'm so excited because I was kind of wondering with them losing Evans and Robert Downey Jr. I was kind of wondering, like, oh fuck, are they, they going to still be all right? Like, we're going to be okay. We're going to get some cool stories. We're going to get some cool shit. And like the the big comic book nerd in me is like very satisfied. I, I can't wait. I gotta. I- I, I like the concept. Uh, I, I I enjoyed Tom Hiddleston. I didn't love the series, especially that once we get to that third episode is when I was kind of I kind of just checked out and didn't go back to it. And that's been kind of the pattern for me with each of the live action Marvel series. I made it except for WandaVision, which I think is my favorite of the group. I, I made it through all of that one because I thought stylistically it, it was very interesting. And, I like, and they especially did well with, with their various cliffhangers from episode to episode made me want to go back. Whereas I didn't feel that with, I especially didn't feel that with uh, Cap, with uh, the Winter Soldier's um, show. I it just did not, I could not stand that at all. But uh, the uh, Loki, they just, I didn't feel like they were really bringing me along very well on that one. And I, after those first couple episodes, I dropped off. Anyone want to defend Loki? Um. <laughs> hey, they had a crocodile or an alligator with a crown on. So, you know, you got me. Uh, that's, that's really all I need. Animals and hats. That's all. <laughs> I'm a sucker for personification. You know how simple I am, John. 
Yeah, uh, croquis been pretty popular in our household. We're already, there's a Funko Pop and a T-shirt bouncing around here, so we're all <laughs> we're done. We're, we're loving that little fucking bastard. It's almost okay, better what? than Grogu, almost. Yeah, it's 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 close. It's I I don't want to go crazy there. You're talking you're talking some sanity there, but. It, it's pretty close. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind spitting on sanctity if it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was there any Star Wars stuff you guys wanted to get to? Or, Well, Zach, have you watched the Bad Batch show at all? No, I need to get back on it. I uh, uh, we, haven't, we haven't gotten around to it yet. I've heard nothing but excellent things, though. Yeah, it's fantastic. If you like the Clone Wars show at all, which uh, to me was a labor of love sometimes, uh, had some really excellent stuff and then some stuff that was just reminded me of The Phantom Menace but played out over three long episodes instead. Uh, Bad Batch is the pure part of that show. It's it's what we were kind of promised with the Clone Wars from the beginning, the, that feeling of a band of brothers uh, I mean, that's literally what was said by Filoni at the beginning of the Clone Wars. So this is that. There's a new character um, that I won't reveal anything about on the show for those who haven't seen it. But the new character is really well done. Uh, and the in the end of that show, just it's some of the better Star Wars we've seen in a while. And uh, as long as Filoni and Favreau are in charge of anything going out, uh, I'm a hundred percent on board. They they really seem to get it. You know what I find what I find interesting is like a, a Star Wars what if kind of cartoon. That would be interesting to because uh, it would give you a chance to revisit those characters that are that are gone now or you know, that that uh, you know are going to age out like the the new characters who are going to age out of the series. Like it, it, you could go back and tell alternate version uh, alternate universe versions of those stories, and I think that'd be pretty interesting. Actually, Sean, you're on um, a, a good roll there because there are a lot of uh, Star Wars what-ifs out there in the quote-unquote expanded Legends universe. Um, the original sequels in book form to Return of the Jedi are what a lot of fans go to instead of the sequel trilogy. And some of those characters have actually made canon appearances uh, when they went back and done some things, including Thrawn out of um, the... Uh, Mandalorian series. Uh, that's part of those books. So what if stuff for Star Wars would be amazing? Unfortunately, it would be difficult in some points because you want to at some point throw Princess Leia in there or General Leia or Jedi Leia or whatever the case may be. And at this point, we can't really do that. Um, but Star Wars, what if, if you want to find it, it's out there. And I do highly recommend a bunch of things. It just isn't on screen yet. Mm. Now, have either of yeah. you watched the anime Star Wars? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah! I watched about half of it yesterday. It is that uh, is a lot of fun. It's um, some of the episodes are a lot more like grounded than others. Like some of them are uh, uh, a little more your traditional like, oh, here's this this like lone Jedi walking through the forest. He's gonna go like free a village or something. And then others, there's uh, someone chopping a lightsaber or a, a fucking star destroyer in half with the lightsaber. Like some of them are like batshit crazy, but they're cool. They're, it's kind of like a, it's like this weird, beautiful marriage between like all these different anime studios and like what they want Star Wars to look like and how Star Wars should feel in their eyes. And I'm not super big on anime, but I respect it so. This this shit this shit's been a lot of. I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Hopefully, I, in the next couple of days. I was gonna. Um, I'm glad that you watched it, Zach, because I haven't had the chance to yet. And I'm gonna echo what you said. I respect anime. I just am not into it myself. But if I was going to watch an anime, it would be Star Wars. So this is really my one and only chance to have more appreciation for the genre. All right. Well, Bob's gonna cut out this entire segment. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, be a rebel. Make him keep it there. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Let's get to uh, this week's classic on the show. Let's talk about uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And 
I uh, so the other night I went to the uh, a local theater where uh, the touring edition of, of Napoleon Dynamite was occurring. The the uh, three of the cast members, John Heater, John Grease, and Efren Ramirez, are touring the movie around the country. And I actually moderated the conversation with the actors and the crowd. And after watching the movie, and it was a really great experience. And these guys are really really great. But what I loved was the rem- the reminder that. I really did like this movie. All the way back in 2004, this came out $800,000 indie, all sorts of uh, hype. And I, I, for a time, it seemed like the hype might just be too much. And then Roger Ebert really panned it. So I was kind of concerned about that. Then I saw it and I just, I, the uniqueness of this movie and seeing it again and just being reminded of how strange and unique th- this movie is. Jared Hess's tone is so unusual that whereas where Ebert said that the characters were kind of being... Uh, bullied or or punched down at, I I didn't necessarily sense that. I think that the tone is so unique that it doesn't feel like any type of meta commentary on on these types of people because these types of people don't exist. <laughs> I don't feel like these people exist. They feel like cartoons in a way, and so anything that happens to them, I don't feel that bad about laughing at them the way you would laugh at like Tom and Jerry. But that that way he bridges that tone between this live action movie that with the characters that are completely from a different planet, it would seem. That is to me what works about Napoleon Dynamite. And there really is no plot here. <laughs> so I'm not gonna describe the plot. It's just Napoleon's kind of a, a very odd teenager and going through very odd teenage trials. That's pretty much the movie. Uh, Zach, talk about uh, Napoleon Dynamite and your first experience with it. Well, Napoleon Dynamite came out when I was 11. So I was all into that shit. I fell into that fucker hard, man. <laughs> um, all of us did. Like it, it kind of, it, it kind of like swept our generation, man. Like there's this kid that he, when he watched it, he fell so heavily in love with it that he just started dressing exactly like Napoleon Dynamite, even went so far to like get a perm, <laughs> start acting like it. And oh, then wow. like one time he did the, the Napoleon Dynamite dance at a talent show. And then like, he just rode that wave for like, I, dude, it felt like three years. <laughs> it was the weirdest goddamn thing. And like, this is like, this went through like middle school and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Oh dude, like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm no prize hog myself, but I'm just like, dude, what, what are you doing? <laughs> but, um, no, uh, uh, the point dynamite, it's always been one of those things. It's, it's kind of always just been like nice comfort food. I, 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 I adore it heavily. I, didn't really like that Fox cartoon that they created yeah, not too long that ago. But that was not, that wasn't very good, but I didn't hate them for it. I was kind of like, cool. Yeah. The, <laughs> the only thing those guys remember about that is the promotional tour where they had to actually go back and sit in uncle Rico's van and promote the show from there. And they were just like, that was really the only thing they remembered about it. <laughs> oh God, man. <laughs> it was it was not great, but um, no, I I love me some Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, you guys ever watched that like alternate ending where they did like the like the, the Fonda's wedding and all that? Like we we'd watch that all the time, and just it just I don't know, man. That's that movie's always going to be a good big part of me. That was kind of like how like a, Wayne's a, World was to my dad. Yeah. It was included that that yeah, wet, sorry, Lafonda's wedding. Saying? Lafonda's wedding was included as a post credit scene in the movie. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It was, was, not, it was yeah. last night. I'm not sure if that was the way it was when it initially released, but yeah. Now, Josh, what about you? What do you think of Napoleon Dynamite? I remember I had to, you had to like, flip the disc. Sorry. No, that's okay. Hey, uh, about this one, it was a movie that reminded me so much of my experience with uh, Wes Anderson movies. Now, this is before I actually saw the movie. People in my life that were really identifying with Wes Anderson were telling me, you really need to see Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, and at that particular time in my life, we're talking late 2004, early 2005, indie and hipster stuff that you could identify this as yeah. was really annoying to me. And it's not like I hated it. It was just annoying. The thing is, Wes Anderson <laughs> continues to be annoying to me. But other than that, uh, this, when I saw it was on video the first time after uh, the hype of the theatrical release came by and I fell in love with it the very first time I saw it, it was 
uh, humor in a way that I hadn't experienced before, but as it turns out, I really liked. Um, where Ebert, I think, kind of missed the point on this one is he thinks that they're talking, the film is talking uh, down about these characters. And I think actually he missed the heart of it. And it's not necessarily his fault. You know, he's seen a lot of comedies similar to this. And, and he references Adam Sandler in his review. And I get that. But uh, to me, there's a big heart at the center of this movie. And each time that I watch it, it gets progressively more noticeable. Uh, up until last night, I updated myself with it. Uh, and at the end, I looked at my wife and said, I, I think this is actually kind of a little bit of a masterpiece. Uh, in its own way, it set up a type of movie that exists now where there's Napoleon Dynamite-like characters. Uh, the whole thing is kind of a cultural phenomenon, and that makes sense. It's something that started out with a $400,000 budget, and we're talking you know, 40-some million dollars at the box office. Now, of course, I'm reading that off of the screen right now, right. so I'm not exactly smart in remembering it, but I just am... I'm, <sighs> I'm identifying with the heart displayed by uh, Tina. I think it's Majorino. I can yeah. never remember how to say her name, but that character is so uh, graceful in her awkwardness, uh, if that makes sense. And and so is Napoleon in a way. And everybody knows an Uncle Rico, but it's never been shown like this before. Uh, just absolutely wonderful characters that aren't so stereotypical as to not have nuance. I don't know. I love this movie. I do think it's a masterpiece. The, the Wes Anderson comparison is a good one. I would also throw in like elements of uh, almost like a fl flight of the Concords in a way, just the, Absolutely. the way they kind of embrace the awkward, the most awkward things in the world is to, to they completely embrace how, how weird all of that is. And uh, that certainly I think has to play into that. But yeah, I think that you're talking about it as a masterpiece. I, I think you're onto something there because there is nothing else like this. Uh, the tone is so tricky, and if he misses one beat of how strange this is, he, it can all fall apart. And that, to me, that type of tightrope walk on a movie is so fascinating, and especially when you can pull it off the way he does, I, it's that much more impressive. And I think it doesn't get the attention or the, the respect that it deserves because it is so small, and it would seem uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like as much of an achievement as it is, but realistically, a film with this kind of tone, uh, this that this level of oddity uh, succeeds as well as it does is really a, a rather a master stroke of direction. And, you know, the Hess, uh, I don't know if they're sisters or a sister and brother or husband and wife, uh, Jared and Jerusha. I, I actually don't remember that part. Um, but this is the best thing that they've done. Yeah. Uh, and by a long shot and, and so I don't know if this kind of thing could be replicated. They hit it out of the park the very first time. Uh, I'm just going to add one thing in that I think multiple viewings really benefit this film. Uh, if I were to watch something like this the first time, it might not be that I don't like it, but it might require repeated viewings to catch all of the subtle humor that's going on. And I catch something each time with this. So it's its own reward. Absolutely. Zach, any final thoughts on the Napoleon Dynamite? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, kind of like what he was saying. Like, all, there's small things every single time. Like, there's just, like, weird little, like, like uh, just things that are going on in the background all the time. Like, I, I love it, man. I, I adore that movie so much. Couldn't say couldn't speak more highly about it. Yeah, I I found like last night for my 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 newest experience of the movie or my newest uh, takeaway from the movie is that how funny that time machine is. <laughs> that, <laughs> that time machine that time machine bit is so great, but the timing of Uncle Rico limping into the room <laughs> is just so perfect. And another scene involving Uncle Rico in which. He throws a stake at Napoleon's face. <laughs> um, up until last night, I didn't realize that it wasn't his stake that he threw. <laughs> he, he took Kip's stake that he was just figuring out how to cut, finally, because <laughs> he's too weak to cut, apparently. And he takes his stake. It was just another layer. I don't know why I hadn't picked up on that before, but it's a perfect encapsulation of that character. 
<laughs> it really is. It's such a great thing. Uh, John Grice was telling the story about that at the at the meet at the movie, uh, talking about how he kept missing because he didn't want to hurt any, he didn't want to hurt uh, John. So he was John Heater. So he kept trying to soft toss it, and eventually, <laughs> eventually they. Uh, he finally, okay, I'll throw it. I'm going to have to throw it as hard as I can to actually do it. And the final try just whips the thing as hard as he can and hits Heater right in the face. And Efren Ramirez, if you'll notice, uh, Pedro gets out of there quickly because Efren Ramirez was about to fall down laughing. <laughs> as would I. I just got hit in the face with a piece of marinated meat. <laughs> Yeah, little details like that are great. And of course, it was really, it was an amazing experience. I've never done anything like that, moderating a, a, an event such as that. I've been to events like that, but I've never been the guy on stage with the cast handling the questions and whatnot. It was, it was definitely a trip. But uh, Napoleon Dynamite, absolute all-time classic. All right, let's see. We're going to skip 1991 because I don't know what the movies are for this week. I didn't bother to look, but... Necessary Roughness. Oh, right. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Thank you for remembering. I, I forgot I even told you. Yeah, the, the Scott Bakula football movie. It's terrible, but I watched it a million times. <laughs> As did I. Never got better. No. Reverse Napoleon Dynamite. Really terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's blow through that and get to a flick chart. What do you say, guys? Sure thing. All right, uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part One or Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Josh, <laughs> Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Um, I'd like to claim fishing with Gandhi on this one, if possible. <laughs> Is that still on the table? I think so. All right, I'll do that then. Zach, <laughs> <laughs> gotta go. Honey I Shrunk the Kids. But when they added Twilight, the Twilight movies to Netflix. Uh, my girlfriend was real big on watching those, so I did rewatch those, and I laughed my ass off the whole time. <laughs> They're terrible, god awful movies, but fucking hell, man, that's just so funny. Little robot babies and everything—it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny as fuck. <laughs> Wait, did you just say robot babies? Because yeah, I've never heard, uh, read, is, or seen these movies. There is a robot baby. Google it. Google Twilight robot baby. You'll see the scariest fucking image <laughs> in your entire life. But it is a real goddamn thing. All right, let me. Somebody tell me where these are streaming for free, <laughs> and I'm just gonna marathon this shit today, <laughs> just to get to the robot babies, my man. <laughs> Yeah, Robo- <laughs> robot baby, <laughs> robot baby with anime eyes too, which is really, really weird. <laughs> also, she's improving on a werewolf, meaning she's falling in love yeah, with him uh, at the time that you meet the robot baby. So there you go. Oh yeah, the- super creepy. That wolf boy really wanted to fuck that baby. It's real bad. <laughs> it's real bad. <laughs> and they all wear shorts too. It's they're, they're all never nudes. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> This is the best synopsis of all time. I need you to write for IMDb. Watching the second movie is like really hard because like they walk out through the woods wearing shorts and it's just it's straight up. It's like a million Tobiases just standing. It's amazing. Oh, I love it. And it was all a dream. Uh, all right. hey, that was shit. Oh, I laughed so hard at that. I got so much. I get so many dirty looks. Um, point Break or Hocus Pocus? Oh. <laughs> now, let's be clear. Which Point Break? Keanu Reeves. Ooh. Okay, I'll take Point Break. <laughs> Zach? I'm going to go Hocus Pocus because I'm literally looking at a Funko Pop of uh, Bette Midler. So I uh, do Hocus not. Pocus. I do not get the Hocus Pocus cult. I don't Neither understand do I. it. <laughs> Makes oh. no sense to me. I found that movie insufferable. I... <laughs> I just don't get well, it I'm at like, all. I'm like 12, remember? You're like, don't, don't, don't forget this, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby still. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. So in, a, in a universe where the witches exists, why do we need Hocus Pocus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick Point Break because uh, I hate Hocus Pocus. All right. Uh, let's see here. I don't think anybody's seen that. Uh, Saw or Dumbo? The original Dumbo, 1941. I'm going with Dumbo. No offense, but I had to put myself through the Saw franchise one after the other. If you remember, Sean, back in 2017, mm-hmm. Nevermore. <laughs> Zach, I go Saw. Dumbo is not one of my favorites. It's it's I. 
but I like Saw. Saw I like the first place. Saw is slightly less racist. I'll go with Saw. No, I'm kidding. I love Saw. I love Saw. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Enemy of the State, Will Smith, or Murder on the Orient Express, Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh's version, absolutely. Zach? Yeah, I'll go Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, same. It's uh, Enemy of the State. Good idea. Poor execution. Little Children starring Kate Winslet or Flight of the Navigator. Um, I'll go with Little Children because it's a superior film, but I do have kind of a Jones for Flight of the Navigator, and that is getting a reboot treatment with a girl instead of a boy in the lead. (sighs) (laughs) But of course it is. (laughs) Of course it is. Gary Widow's right again. That man made Rogue One, so I have a feeling it might be pretty damn good. Oh, uh, Gary Widow, that's right. Yeah, I think I think he's attached to that. To the uh, Starfighter, I can't remember. It, the Last Starfighter is the movie that he says that he's written a follow-up to, and I actually reached out to him on social media one time. Um, I would love to see that one happen. If he's involved with this one, too, regardless, I still want to see it. Actually, I think I'm completely entirely wrong on that. <laughs> I got the two mixed up. I'll go fight of the navigator. <laughs> well, let's get him involved. <laughs> why not? Gary, uh, wait, listen to this shit. Make it happen. <laughs> uh, no. Why can't can't we just make a new movie? Uh. No, Sean. No. <laughs> we have to have everybody has to have microwave leftovers. Everybody. <laughs> hey, I love sloppy seconds, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what she said. Uh, well, <laughs> Little Children is my choice because that is a far superior film. <laughs> All right. Total Recall 2012 or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Again. I'm going with Total Recall. I actually kind of have a guilty pleasure love for that movie. Zach? I'm going to go, go Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I never watched Total Recall. It's PG-13. I knew I wouldn't be able to see all three boobs. Yes, you do. Believe it or not, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yes, I still do. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, cool. Uh, never mind. I might change my mind. I might have to watch it. <laughs> no, That's kidding. not at all the reason that I wanted to see that. <laughs> Total Recall wins. Oh, I thought that was the only reason. <laughs> it is. <laughs> all right. Teen Wolf 2 starring Jason Bateman or Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I've not seen Stir Crazy, but I will take the idea of that over <laughs> Team Wolf 2. Zach, any Team Wolf 2 love? <laughs> I take that as a no. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, will, I will vote for it because I've seen it. I'll vote for it. <laughs> I like the first one a lot. The second one, uh, I like me some Jason Bateman, but I don't know if I like it that much. <laughs> All right, Black Christmas 1974 or The Lovebirds with Kamel Nanjani and Issa Rae. I haven't seen that uh, second film, but um, I better say Black Christmas or Cousin Jeff will come hunt me down. (laughs) Zach, have you seen it? I've seen Black Christmas, so I'll go with that. Black Christmas. All right. Let's see. Princess Mononoke or High Tension. I'm going High Tension for sure. I've seen Princess Mononoke, the dubbed version. Uh, it tries too hard to be Star Wars for me, and I wasn't into it. But High Tension, uh, although I know that it's not a good movie, definitely affected me, which is something to say. Zach? Um, I actually haven't seen either of these, but All right. constantly tempted by that tab on HBO Max. I do want to see some uh, Studio Ghibli movies. <laughs> I could never vote for high attention, so Princess Mononoke wins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as fair about this as, as Bob is. Oh, that's okay. Your <laughs> vote actually should be 1.5 more times. <laughs> All right. The Evil Dead 1981 or Zelig? Haven't seen Zelig, but uh, give me anything else and I'll vote against Evil Dead. <laughs> Zach? I'm, I will always vote for Evil Dead. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I love Zelig. I'm in the minority. <laughs> Zelig is a wonderful film. I'm taking the Evil Dead every time. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hidalgo with Vigo Mortensen or... Oh, I'm not seeing that one. Let's go. Next one. No? No, not that one either. Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. <laughs> I haven't bothered to see any of the Maze Runner movies, um, but Hidalgo... No. <laughs> so um, I'm pulling out another Fishing with Gandhi here. <laughs> 
<laughs> Zach, have you seen either of these movies? I've I've seen I've seen Maze Runner, and that's why it's getting a vote. I haven't seen the other one, but I'm begrudgingly doing it. I'm just trying to be fair. The only one who's seen both these movies and knows that the Scorch Trials stink. All right, <laughs> all right. We've got Black Widow or Black Swan. Excuse me, Black Swan versus Cars. <laughs> definitely take Black Swan. It's a far superior film. In fact, Cars is the only Pixar movie that I kind of dread having to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I just gotta go Black Swan. Fuck Cars, man. <laughs> Seriously, man. It's a weird. It's a weird comparison. I don't hate Cars as much as everybody else, but yeah, Black Swan by a lot. <laughs> Life is a highway. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Oh, man. Never Been Kissed or Wild Things? I will go Never Been Kissed. Nice little heart behind that through Barrymore. Wild Things is super exploitative garbage. Although, although I've never enjoyed anything more than Kevin Bacon's penis on screen. <laughs> so, everybody, we've got to make a reference to it every week somehow. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, do, what, what do you I think? I've never been kissed. Never been kissed. All right, I was gonna probably go wild things just on the Kevin Bacon joke, but J- Josh got there first, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we got old school, old school, or Blood Diamond. I'm going with Blood Diamond. I know old school is kind of a a favorite of dudes everywhere, but it, I never got into that one. Um, Blood Diamond is actually kind of fun. Edwards Vick is uh, occasionally a really fine director, and that one was no substitute. Zach? It was Blood Diamond versus what it cut out of my end. Old school. Oh, I'll go old school. I, I That one's a guilty pleasure of mine. I know, it's, I know it's kind of not the greatest, but I still enjoy it a lot. It's, it's one of those I love. It's one of those movies that has not aged well. <laughs> it really has not it's aged well. well. And uh, I don't love Blood Diamond, but I'm going to take it. All right. Uh, Troll 2 or <laughs> Us. Jordan Peele. Definitely Us, although one could really see Troll 2 as as much of a fun cinematic or at-home experience. Amen to that. Zach? Us. I, that, that always, I always look back at that fight sequence at the end set to I got five on it. I love that shit so <laughs> yes. much. Yes. It's so, so nice. nice. It's so awesome. Like that movie, yeah. I still don't see it as a horror movie at all, but it is a badass action flick. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It's you, you can't piss on, on hospitality, but us is still the better movie. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's see. We've got here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990 or less than zero. <laughs> I'm going to go with less than zero. I was, uh, I was reasonably impressed with that one, knowing that Downey Jr. was involved, and he's pretty solid in the film. Uh, very much an 80s thing, kind of uh, a, a microcosm of the 80s thing. So I'll go with that one. Zach? There are very few things in this world that will make me vote against either Ninja Turtles or Secrets of the Ooze. So I'm going Ninja Turtles all day. I love <laughs> that enough. movie. That movie loves me. T-R-T-L-E power. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to surprise everybody here and pick Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I watched it last year. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was uh, a, a misunderstood kind of 90s classic. I think it's so much better than it has any right to be. And I don't love Less Than Zero that nearly that much. So, uh, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me. <laughs> I know yeah. unthinkable, unthinkable years ago. But now, yeah. After seeing it, I I finally feel like I understand. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, little children or Amelie? Definitely Amelie for me. Uh, not that Little Children is at all, you know, uh, a less worthy film, but Amelie has that particular cinematic magic that I haven't experienced with. Oh gosh, many films at all. Maybe just a handful of films. <clears throat> Zach. I got little children. I I don't. Rem- I can't remember if I've seen Amelie. I can't remember it. 
Well, I'm picking Amelie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I just adore the style of it, and uh, the direction is so perfect, and her performance is just incredible. Little Children, though, is still a movie that, that's, that's stuck with me all these years, and I, I can't recommend it enough. It's, a, it's an incredible film, but it's also much, much harder to watch than, than Amelie yeah. <laughs> because of what happens in it. Um, so, but yeah, Amelie wins. All right, what's next here? Let me see. Come on. We're talking about uh, Greenberg with Ben Stiller or Summer Rental with John Candy. <laughs> uh, I'll go with Greenberg, but begrudgingly. Uh, not as excited about that one as I thought I would be. And uh, yeah, no thanks on the other one. <laughs> Zach? Might have to abstain because I'm pretty sure I haven't seen the other. All right. Well, it's Greenberg because uh, Greenberg, I, I really liked it. I was impressed. All right. Uh, <laughs> Staying Alive or Black Christmas? I have not seen Staying Alive, it's uh, a worse, nor have it's, I seen Saturday Night Fever. Staying so. Alive is much more of a horror film. Um. <laughs> Wait, is there a movie actually called Staying Alive that is a horror film? Wait, no. Because it no. would make sense. Oh, they, stay, stay Alive. Stay Alive. Oh, stay alive, not the John Travolta. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about staying alive. The John Travolta movie is our is our movie here because I think it's I think it's more frighteningly terrible than Black Christmas. Oh, okay, okay, we'll go with that one then for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Black Christmas. Why not? Yeah, Black, okay. Black Christmas. Stay alive. It always blows my mind that that, that was directed by. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and a sequel somehow to to uh, Saturday Night Fever just boggles the mind how he got to that point with that story. Does Frank maybe just have a song on the soundtrack? And <laughs> Multiple so songs on the soundtrack. There we go. There we go. He said, oh, I'll do you a favor, brother. I'll direct this shitty movie for you. <laughs> Robocop 2 or King uh, Kung Fu Panda 2? I'll go Kung Fu Panda 2. Um, fuck the RoboCop movies. Amen. I'm going RoboCop because fuck you, RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> Kung Fu Panda 2 it is. Uh, <laughs> all right. Sinister or Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Um, as fun as those Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies are, forgettable but fun for me, um, I'm definitely going to choose the former than the latter. All right, Zach. I'll go cloudy with a chance of meatballs, but I uh, did see Sinister for the first time during the pandemic last year, and I actually did kind of enjoy it. I it didn't. Pretty- I didn't enjoy it, so it's cloudy with a chance of meatballs too for me. I just uh, not into Sinister. Uh, let's see what we got here. Let me pull up another movie: uh, The Lost Boys, or oh, nobody's seen that. <laughs> The Ides of March with George Clooney and Ryan Gosling. I'm going with The Ides of March, even though it is not a very good movie. It's about as middling as one can get. Um, oh, God. What was the other one, Sean? I'm sorry. The Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Okay. Uh, Joel Schumacher, Excess, um, almost to the max. Uh, only Batman and Robin disappoints me more than The Lost Boys. Uh, I think it's garbage, despite the fact that it has a real strong cult following and is another film that's getting a remake, which I won't see. Uh, yeah, I heard that too. Zach? Oh, I'm going Lost Boys, because I did love me some garbage, and I could watch that today, whereas if I were to go pop on the Ides of March, I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. I could, I could watch The Lost Boys a lot easier. The Ides of March should have been a really good movie. It should be one we still remember today. And I don't think I don't think anybody could actually quote the premise of that movie now. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those Clooney projects that he directs that he just misses the the mark on, like Monuments Men. Uh, he but the premise is also a lot of fun. You can tell where he gets this stuff from. But as a director, he's very hit and miss. Amen to that. Yeah. Oof. Suburbicon. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Ides of March is a better movie than Lost Boys. I hate the Lost Boys. I think it is absolute garbage, and I don't understand why anybody wants to sit through that. Oh, it's hot garbage. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like It's like, again, I like watching Spider-Man 3, and I, I, I like watching garbage shit sometimes. <laughs> so I'm all, I'm all on board, my man. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, we're going to do one last one here. This will be it for the day. Uh, let's see here if I can find a movie that people have actually seen. 
<laughs> Just a movie that anybody's actually seen, please. All right, here we go. Blues Brothers 2000 or Iron Man 3? Uh, Iron Man 3, and it's not close. Not even <laughs> in the remote ballpark of being close. Blues Brothers 2000, I don't understand why it exists. And also, fuck John Belushi. I'm just going to make sure I make a point of that. <laughs> Zach? Can I just jump off a fucking... <laughs> like... <laughs> don't do this, man. It's like, do you want to die from pills or do you want to die from choking? Oh, um, I guess I'll go Iron Man three. I don't uh, hate it as much as I used to, but I still don't real. I'm not really into it. I like Iron Man three. I'm a big fan. I would take Iron Man three. I will take Iron Man three, but yeah, I just wanted to say Blues Brothers two thousand, <laughs> just to say Ooh. it because it's so terrible. Just the opportunity to talk about how awful, what a completely bizarre, misconceived idea that was. Oh man, so bad. The movie's so bad that it makes me want to call the bounty boards in Texas. If you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> it was. Like, it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> all right zach josh thank you so much for jo- for joining us this week much appreciated and uh yeah have a good weekend yeah thank you you too sean take care zach good to see you. good to good see to good to talk to you again sir <laughs> good to talk to you too bud all right thanks guys that ought to do it thanks very much ray and we're the three best friends that anybody could have we're the three best friends that anyone could have we're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. We're the best three friends that anybody can have. I mean the three best friends that anybody can have. The friends that